Hello, and welcome to the Thinking Biblically and Beyond podcast. I'm your host, Justin Paley. And in today's episode, we're going to be tackling a a somewhat unusual topic and be exploring circumcision and the New Testament. So without further ado, let's jump into it. So for today's episode, I want to do something a little bit different, at least compared to the topics that we've been covering so far in this podcast. Last episode, we dove into literacy in the New Testament. Uh, and so for this episode, I wanted to do a similar uh, standalone episode, but focus on a, a subject that at least in today's day and age is not talked about as much, uh, and that's circumcision. And so to, to start things off, uh, you know, I, I think that one of the main reasons why it's not talked about as much and in just general conversation is one, because as moderns, we are uncomfortable talking about the, the practice or the associated body parts, but also because it's hard for us to understand from a modern perspective why circumcision was so important to early Christians. You read the Bible and throughout the New Testament, particularly in the the letters of Paul and um, some some of the other epistles, uh, so outside of the Gospels, uh, is constantly, constantly talking about the the idea of circumcision and its relation to Christian identity. And it formed one of the principal conflict points between early Christians— so traditionally, in the the mold of Martin Luther, who who really latched on to this idea of you know faith versus works, there's this idea that looking at Paul, Paul represents the, uh, for lack of a better way to put it, he represents the faith and this faith versus works to be. Uh, so from Luther, he sees Paul as being the correct embodiment of Christianity, and that nobody c- can have salvation and be saved. They can only be saved through faith. They cannot earn their salvation by doing good works. And in fact, it is is wrong to pursue faith and righteousness through works. So on the other side of the debate, we have works. And so famously, Martin Luther, to continue with his example, he detests the, uh, the letter of James, which is uh, in the New Testament after the Pauline epistles, He's, he famously calls it a, a, an epistle of straw. He really sees James as, re- as, as representing everything that he detests about the faith versus works to be. He sees James as the antithesis of Paul's gospel of faith, and he sees James as being... A, a sort of poster boy, for lack of a better term, of the, the works camp. And so I want to dive a little bit deeper and talk about why this was such a big deal and, and try, try to understand what the, the conflict points are and if there is any uh, sort of um, consequence for uh, today's Christianity or communities of faith. So Famously, throughout Paul's letters, as I mentioned earlier, he talks a lot about circumcision. And it's clear that for Paul, who is mainly uh, being a missionary to Gentiles, meaning non-Jews, who 
uh, did not practice circumcision and thus were not circumcised. But for Paul, he fervently argues that for these Gentiles to become quote unquote Christian, which for him in, in that time in the first century, would have been uh, essentially thought of as a branch of Judaism. There was no idea of Christianity as a separate religion. The term Christian wasn't even used until after Paul's lifetime. And so Christians, what, what we call Christians today in the first century, thought of themselves as Jews in some way, shape, or form. And there are examples of Gentiles converting to Judaism. It was not, you know, a, a super common practice before uh, before Paul, but it was, it's definitely known. Uh, and they're, they're, uh, the, the word that they use for this group is uh, both God-fearers, meaning Gentiles who don't fully convert to Judaism, but maybe have a lot of sympathies with Judaism. Maybe they go to some synagogue services. They're just overall interested in Judaism, and they might not believe, they might not be monotheists, but they at least hold a reverency for the God of Israel and Jewish practices. And then you have, you have actual proselytes who, who go through the full conversion process, which did for males involve circumcision. So for Paul, who comes from a Pharisaic background, uh, he was a Pharisee. He was a, a Jewish religious authority at one point in time before he sort of gave up all of that life to become a traveling missionary, preaching um, the, the message of, of Jesus and his interpretation of it. And so he, for him, he's thinking about He's wrestling with a lot of ideas, uh, and this is going to be boiling Paul's theology down to a very simple, very, very simple level. Um, but, but at that very base level, Paul is thinking about the implications of Jesus. He believes that Jesus is the Messiah. He believes that Jesus died uh, for our sins, and he rose again. And we could debate whether Paul thinks Jesus is literally God, but that's that's a that's an unrelated question. But at, at the very basic point, he believes that Jesus is the Messiah, not just for Jews, but for everybody. And so, for Gentiles, let's say Paul is preaching, you know, the Corinthians or the Romans, right? And they want to convert. They want to give up their polytheistic gods, their Greco-Roman gods, and they want to, quote unquote, convert and, and fully devote themselves to the, the God of Israel and Jesus that Paul is preaching. So the debate starts from there. And the primary question is, because in their minds, and by they, I mean Paul and other early Christian leaders, thought of themselves as Jews. Now, if Gentiles were going to convert to, I'm going to use the term Christianity um, just for the sake of convenience, but again, when I say Christianity, think of a particular form of Judaism. When these Gentiles want to convert to Christianity, do they need to then go through all of the sort of, quote unquote, traditional uh, conversion practices? And for males, this would include circumcision. Now, obviously, uh, us today, it would also go for those in antiquity, did not necessarily jump at the chance of, of having their um, body parts mutilated, especially as an adult. So this was not something that was easy uh, and painless uh, in, in a very real sense. 
And so Paul, it's Paul's firm conviction that Gentiles don't need to be circumcised and, and follow other Jewish customs in order to convert to Christianity is not necessarily based in the practical in the sense that Paul's not like we shouldn't put these people, these these males through this pain in order to convert that that's not re- really a major factor in his consideration, though. Obviously, I think thinking about it from a practical standpoint, having to become circumcised might deter some people from uh, actually um, fully devoting themselves to the God of Israel. So in that sense, maybe Paul was factoring that in. But uh, the the biggest concern for him is what does it mean to be saved and become part of the chosen group that God slash Jesus is going to save and be part of God's kingdom when God comes back and establishes his kingdom on earth and transforms the world as we know it. For Paul, from what we can glean from his letters, and there is a lot of debate and there's been debate for, you know, uh, millennia at this point about exactly Paul's theology. So take all of this with a grain of salt. I'm going to be talking in, in very large generalities. But for Paul, he sees a problem with having Gentiles become Jews in the sense of being for males being circumcised. Now, the main reason why he has a problem with this is because Paul thinks that there is no value in Gentiles becoming Jews. He finds value, much more value, in getting Gentiles to give up, one, their polytheism, their their praying to idols or worship of idols, and also for them to accept Jesus as their Messiah. And so for Paul, that is where the crux of the gospel is. It is belief and faith in Jesus and by extension, also the God of Israel. And so you have a lot of talk in Romans about this conflict between Jews and Gentiles in the sense that we know that early Christianity was much more successful among Gentiles than it was among Jews. And Christianity, there's no question about it, that Christianity would not have grown into a major religion and into what it is currently um, through just Jewish conversion. I mean, they're just, there was not a lot of Jews who were converting. And for Paul, that obviously, you know, proved very, uh, very worrying. And it also caused him to really think about why this is happening, right? Why is, and from Paul's view, God hardening the hearts of, of Israel uh, and, and making them not um, fully see Jesus as the Messiah, and so Paul gives the in Romans he gives this illusion of of a tree where the branches are Israel and that God can you know um, graft on take take away some of the branches and graft on other branches representing uh, in this analogy Gentiles and so for Gentiles to become what Paul sees as God's chosen people, which for Paul is no longer just Israel in the traditional sense, meaning it's not just Jews. Jews are not the only ones that can be part of God's family and be part of the God's chosen people. With Jesus, now that has opened up the possibility to everybody. And so for Paul, the criteria to now be grafted on to this tree of God's chosen people is not rooted in Jewish 
customs and rituals such as circumcision or keeping strict kosher laws. Now, I do want to stop there and say that we need to be very, very careful because this could very quickly spiral, very incorrectly, I, I would fervently argue, this could very quickly spiral into uh, a, a sort of anti-Semitic trope of sorts in that we think of Paul as saying Judaism is evil, Jews are evil, non-Jewish stuff is good. Uh, and so it's sort of like good Christians versus bad Jews. And obviously, I don't have to rehash the um, the, the millennia's worth of, of violence and anti-Semitic um, uh, actions and beliefs that have permeated society for a very long time. And a lot of it is rooted in this idea of Judaism being the antithesis uh, the, the anti-Christianity, and then from that, obviously, you have this idea of Jews being Christ killers, et cetera, et cetera. But that sort of uh, worldview could uh, spin out of mm, talking about Paul's view of Judaism like this. So we have to be very nuanced in how we discuss it, because Paul does not think that Jews, people who were born Jews, who were circumcised on the eighth day, who've been following kosher laws since they've been born. He does not think that those people should give up their practices and essentially renounce their Judaism. So when Paul says that he doesn't think Gentiles need to do these things, it's not because Paul doesn't necessarily find value in them. It's not necessarily because he's saying that all of those practices are bad in principle and everybody needs to get rid of them and it's a sin to follow them. No. He's making a firm distinction between Jews and Gentiles. Jews have their customs. Jews, like him, Paul is going to continue to follow kosher laws. Paul is going to not say to, you know, a brand new Jewish convert, hey, you can't join this, this new family of God's chosen ones because you're circumcised. So it's not the circumcision itself that Paul has a problem with. It's what it represents. And for Paul... Again, this is a very, very uh, simplistic reduction of, <laughs> of these ideas. But for Paul, there, Israel were the original chosen ones. Paul thinks Israel special, and thus Jews have this special relationship. But all of that gets redefined through the life and death of Jesus. And so because of Jesus's actions and, and what he's done and what God has accomplished through Jesus— for Paul, that has redefined the relationship between humanity and God. And so these older rules and regulations that um, really governed how Jews functioned, what they did, how they thought about their relationship to God, all of that has now been changed. And so it's not so much that those things are inherently bad as that Paul sees them in a new light that light being in light of the actions of Jesus and what he believes God has accomplished through Jesus and the implications of that. So Paul's overarching point is, you know, when he goes off in Galatians, uh, and he's very adamant about this, he says, do not get circumcised. I'm telling you, there is no value in circumcision. And if you do it, you've been cut off from Christ. 
it's very easy to read that as Paul denouncing all Jewish practice. And there are other areas where Paul seems to be, you know, denouncing the value of that. And he is, he is denouncing the value of it, but only for Gentiles. And it's because for Paul to now be part of God's chosen people, the relationship with the God of Israel is now no longer defined through stuff like circumcision and kosher food laws. It is now predominantly characterized by belief and faith in Jesus and what God has accomplished through Jesus. And if you believe those things and thus all of the actions that follow it, you know, we, we also need to be careful of having the simplistic faith versus works. Paul was not 100% faith. Paul was not 100% works. For him, I would strongly argue, faith comes first and foremost. And if you are truly embodying that faith, then the actions follow as a natural outflow of following Jesus. So, you know, you don't worship idols anymore. You don't steal. You don't wrong your brother or your sister. All of those things are, are based in an, an ethic, but an ethic that Paul believes is born out of belief and faith in Jesus. So through the the redefining actions of Jesus, that's where Paul thinks the now the main sort of link between God and humanity is, especially for Gentiles. Gentiles have been called, they've been called to be saved from Paul's point of view. And the way they're saved is not to go back to the old ways of doing things for Paul. It's not to become circumcised because circumcision doesn't matter anymore in terms of people becoming God's chosen people, specifically for Gentiles. So Paul is sort of separating uh, humanity into different groups. Because naturally, and this holds true today for anything, there is no one size fits all. There is no, there, there are, there's always a lot of nuance to these discussions. And so for Paul, why he, why that's such a big discussion is because other Jews uh, principally, it seems that Peter, James, and John, the pillars in Jerusalem, you know, they're talked about in Acts 15, they, they play a big role in, in Acts, and they're mentioned in Galatians, and Paul talks about how Peter uh, no longer, like when people from James came and Peter was dining with Gentiles, he essentially uh, backed away and no longer was, um, you know, eating and associating with uh people who believed in Jesus, but were not ethnically Jewish. And so Paul, you know, goes off on Peter and says, hey, you're being a hypocrite. You know, you were dining with Gentiles. You were um, sort of breaking down these, these customs that we used to follow, which forbade breaking bread with a, with a Gentile uh, and, and other sorts of practices associated with that. And he says, hey, you're you're not you're not living out the you're not living out the gospel you're not living out what we have now believed to be God's message and and how we relate to God now through Jesus the Messiah he he is he's <laughs> I I I'm hesitating not hesitating I'm thinking of the right way to put it because Paul is such an interesting character and. So sometimes it can be a little bit hard to entangle exactly what's setting him off at any particular moment. But generally, I think it's correct to see Paul's um, uh, 
argument against circumcision for Gentiles to be based in his new understanding of the relationship between God, Jesus, and humanity. And so Paul's trying to stress that these things are no longer as important. It's not necessary for a Gentile to be circumcised to believe in Jesus, because in order to really have that connection with God, to be grafted onto the tree, it is not, if a Gentile gets circumcised, that does nothing for them. If that's the only thing that happens, that's not how that relationship is formed. That's not how God has now defined uh, his relationship with his people. He's defined it now through the, the faith uh, belief in and actions of Jesus. And so in order to access that relationship, that's done through faith in Jesus and the subsequent actions and changes of lifestyle that follow, not through the old Jewish customs and laws, which no longer have the same sort of power or influence that they used to. Now, Paul is not saying that they're useless because he still thinks that Jews should follow those customs. They shouldn't just suddenly, you know, give them away uh, and uh, suddenly, uh, you know, not that you can uncircumcise yourself, but suddenly in terms of their worldview, you know, suddenly throw all these things away. So when we read these letters, we have to understand that Paul is talking to a Gentile audience, not a Jewish one. We don't know exactly what he would have said to a full Jewish audience, but it's clear from Romans where uh, most scholars, and I would be prone to agree with this, he's writing to a mixed community in the sense that there's both Jews and Gentiles, and there is some conflict between those two general groups. And he says, look, you Gentiles who are who are defaming Jews and saying that they've been cut off from God and that, you know, they're, they never had a special relationship and there's no value in Torah. He says, no, no, you got it wrong. And Jews, too, you got it wrong. You can't go around and, and denounce Gentiles and Gentiles. You can't go around and denounce Jews for their practices. We all need to come together and realize that the thing that binds us all now is not this dividing code of circumcision, food laws, etc. It is this shared belief in Jesus as the Messiah. And that's what unites us all. And we should not, we should not defame a brother or a sister who is a fellow believer in Christ for what they do, as long as they are not, uh, the way that Paul puts it as, he, they're not serving as a stumbling block to others. They're not uh, weakening or, or destroying somebody's faith through their actions. So as long as that's not happening, Jews should not denounce Gentiles and Gentiles should not denounce Jews um, because Again, what unites them is not the ethnicity portion. It's not the circumcision and, and dietary markers that mark Jews off as an as a ethnically separate group from the rest of society. Because the point of Jesus is not exclusivity, it's inclusivity. So that's, a very, again, very simplistic reduction of, of what I see as, as being the real chief principles and foundations of Paul's opposition to circumcising Gentiles. And then you have the added on top of that, what Paul sees as Jews sort of, uh, for lack of a better way to put it, dodging the consequences of being a believer in Christ. In a sense that Paul accuses at the end of, of the, his letter to the Galatians, he accuses Jew, Jewish missionaries, uh, he says people from James, James being 
the the brother of Jesus, who after Jesus's death became a major leading figure in the early Christian movement and was based primarily in Jerusalem. They certainly had missionaries or, or, or people who would go out and proselytize. And those people apparently went to the Galatians and were saying, hey, no, Paul is wrong. You guys need to be circumcised. Have you read the Torah? Have you not seen that, you know, one of the um, main tenants, uh, you know, God says right here, you need to be circumcised with males on the eighth day. Uh, it's very clear. And Paul is just wrong. You know, he's leading you in sin. He's leading you away from being saved. And Paul, obviously, uh, does not appreciate that. And uh, he fights right back. And he says, you know, no, no, no. These other people, they got it wrong. They're trying to to mark you off from Christ. They're trying to set, they're trying to incorporate, you know, human actions and human identity markers uh, like they have for, you know, thousands of years of Jewish history, which have a lot of value and do show a special relationship between Jews and, and the true God uh, of the world, the God of Israel. But again, they're not, they're not truly understanding the transformative nature uh, of Jesus. They're, they don't understand the, the, the real consequences of that. And that's what's really driving Paul. And so he says, in addition to claiming that they have a mistaken theology and understanding, it's also saying, hey, on a practical level, they're only doing this so that they don't have to face persecution like I am. They're all, you know, he says, they're only getting you to be circumcised so that they can go around and, and boast, meaning they can go around and say, hey, you know, look at the work that we've done. And, and they can point towards, hey, you know, Jewish authority, synagogue in this area. Hey, look these people have become, you know, quote unquote, real Jews, because the majority of Jews would have agreed with them. They would have said, because the majority of Jews who do, which did not believe in Jesus as the Messiah didn't accept that as, as, as the true, um, the true workings of God. And they would totally agree with James and the Jerusalem apostles, no question about it. And so Paul is saying, hey, they're just doing that so that they don't have to face the consequences that I am. Paul talks a lot about, you know, how much he's being persecuted and also that the Gentiles that he is ministering to are going to face persecution and trials because of their devotion to Jesus and the true God of Israel. And so Paul is saying, look, for these people from James who came to you and tried to say that I'm wrong and that you need to be circumcised, they're not just mistaken about it. They're actually doing it for their benefit, not yours. They're doing it so that they don't have to face punishment from the Jewish authorities. They don't have to face uh, being ostracized from the rest of the Jewish community, which is exactly what happened to Paul. He says specifically in, uh, in 2 Corinthians, he gives a list, a list of some of the, the punishments that he's endured as a comparison point to the other apostles. And he says, look, you know, Multiple times I faced, um, it's called the 40 lashes minus one, which was a Jewish um, punishment essentially to uh, people who committed some, for lack of a better way to put it, some heresy. And so Paul, because he still thinks of himself as a Jew uh, and um, is going around and proselytizing, the Jewish authorities uh, take issue with that. And they also don't agree, one, that Jesus is the Messiah, and they also definitely don't agree that Gentiles can suddenly become Jews and not be circumcised, not follow kosher laws, et cetera, et cetera. 
And so Paul runs into a lot of issues with that and suffers a lot of persecution and ostracization, I guess would be the word, uh, because of that. And so Paul is saying, hey, look, I'm truly devoted. Look, you could see the marks on my skin. You could see the scars. You can see what I've been through, all the hardships, because I stay true to the, you know, from his perspective, I'm saying this, I'm staying true to the true gospel. As he says in Galatians 1, he's like, hey, this is true gospel. I didn't receive this from any human authority. I received this from God slash Jesus himself. Um, and if anybody has come and preached a different gospel to you, even if we come and preach a different gospel than the one we first preached to you, uh, it, it's not, it, it's not the correct one. We bought you the true gospel. We didn't get it from any human authorities. We got it essentially, even though he doesn't say this explicitly, the implication is we got it from God himself through revelation and, and through prayer and, and, and reflection, et cetera, et cetera. So for, for Paul, it's almost like an affront to him in that not only these people from James are not only, you know, uh, trash talking him and, 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 and his work, but he also thinks that, you know, they're standing high and mighty on their, uh, on their position. And while they're actually being the more selfish ones from his perspective, again, they're being the more selfish ones. They're the ones who are doing it for their gain so that they can have a good standing in the Jewish community and they don't have to suffer the same things that Paul is. And he's saying, uh, look, that's that's not devotion to the gospel, the gospel of God. The gospel of God requires us to go around and and denounce idols and and preach what Jesus has come and done and the implications of that and get people to uh, to believe in Jesus, the Messiah, and give up their, their sinful ways. And for Paul, this is a very, very time-sensitive thing. He thinks the world might end before he dies. So as he says in, in, at various points in his letters, you know, that you never know. It's going to come like a thief in the night. You've got to be ready. It could happen at any point. It's a very apocalyptic lens that he sees all of these issues through. And so for Paul, this is a matter of, you know, not life and death in the, the literal sense, but in a, in a very real sense, in a very spiritual sense, in a, hey, I want to save as many people as possible. And it really grieves Paul, as he says in Romans, that his fellow Jews are, are by and large rejecting it. And so he finds a lot of meaning in the fact that there are more Gentiles accepting it than Jews, but that can be a conversation or a topic for another podcast episode. But why I really wanted to focus on, on circumcision, even though it's a, uh, not a t again, not a topic that is commonly discussed in, in modern Christianity, is that I, I think it points, it points to a lot of things, but the one out the one I want to highlight here is it points to the fact that from the very beginning, there was no one true belief, true gospel. There was always from the beginning varying interpretations. I mean, if we sit back and think about it for a second, right? Paul, he is considered to be an apostle. And, and we know that one of the primary criteria that was considered you know, for you to be considered an apostle is that you needed to witness the resurrected Jesus. And for Paul, he does claim that 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 he has, and um, others seem to have believed him. They don't question that necessarily. But Paul also 
one tells us that he was an early persecutor uh, of Christians, which certainly did not did not help, obviously, his cause. But also that he did not know Jesus while he was alive. He didn't witness the um, the the supposed miracles, or he didn't witness the crucifixion. He didn't witness these things that other very prominent apostles, you know, think of, of James and Peter. I mean, for gosh sakes. James was literally the brother of Jesus, literally the brother of what they viewed as the savior of the world. But yet, Paul uh, um, feels like he is on equal ground with him in terms of authority. And I'm not here to say whether that's right or wrong. I just think it's fascinating to sit here and think, wow, in today's day and age, let's say, you know, some, I don't know, and hypothetical, a new Messiah appeared, right? And uh, you know, we were part of the believers in this Messiah. And there was somebody who, after the Messiah died, you know, saw him resurrect, saw them resurrected, and then claimed uh, sort of equal authority to the actual blood brother of the Messiah, or uh, blood sibling. It's it's really interesting to think about because we sort of uh, associate family as being in closer connection with somebody than sort of, uh, for lack of a better way to put it, a stranger. So I just find it really fascinating to think about those dynamics. But it just goes to show just how much diversity of thought and belief there was from the very beginning. So there there was no unsingle understanding of all of these events, even shortly after they happened. And so I think that this is another cautionary point to us in the modern world that, hey, from the very beginning, there have been differences in belief and thought and an interpretation. It led to conflict in, from the very beginning, and it'll continue to lead to conflict going forward. That's just human nature. But it's not, it's not all negative. It's, it's something to be celebrated in a sense, or, or at least accepted as just a, a natural part of, of religion more generally. This is true for any religion, but in this case, obviously, we're focusing on Christianity, that we, we need to have these conversations in that even the, the original apostles of Jesus and Paul, they're, they had conflicts just like us, and in ways... There, there's may have been even more, you know, deep rooted. We, we don't really know. We don't have a lot of right. We don't have writings from Peter or from James or from uh, the, the opposite perspective of Paul. We're sort of mirror, mirror reading Paul's letters to reconstruct what his opponents were saying, which is not a, a very sound way to really truly see what uh, Paul's opponents were saying, since, you know, obviously Paul's going to present it in a, in a, in a biased way, naturally. And so we don't really know exactly w- how that conflict played out, how vicious it was, and, you know, the exact actors in each camp. But it's very clear that this was a big, big topic. And even in the Gospels, you know, one of the big things about Jesus is he doesn't necessarily harp on circumcision, but he does talk about, hey, you know, on the Sabbath, if if I can heal somebody on the Sabbath and, and um, you know, give them renewed life and, and, and help a fellow brother or sister, am I really going to not take that opportunity because it's the Sabbath? 
I mean, he sort of resets the priorities and say, hey, look, I'm not saying that the Jewish law doesn't have any value. I'm saying that in certain circumstances, we need to uh, think about the overarching principle of God's love and message, which is to love your neighbor as yourself and to believe in the one God, God of Israel. And secondarily, to love your neighbor as yourself. And so for Jesus and in his interpretation, he does not feel like breaking the Sabbath in order to um, heal and make whole another another uh, brother or sister is a sin. He thinks that that's the right thing to do. And that's actually the correct interpretation of the Jewish law. So from the very foundation, uh, there's been this idea of uh, not necessarily totally rejecting traditional Judaism, uh, for lack of a better way to put it, but actually reinterpreting it. And that tradition is obviously carried on by Paul and subsequent Christians. And then it becomes more and more extreme as Christians further differentiate themselves from Jews until there's essentially a, a full split, um, probably sometime in the, the third century, since you do have some, uh, they're called the Ebionites, that um, are, are essentially can be characterized as Christian Jews. So Jews who believe in Jesus the Messiah, but yet basically follow all other Jewish customs. So a lot more could be said, but why I wanted to dive into this is because I think that though it's circumcision is obviously not something that is central to um, people's faith today, um, to the people's Christian faith, um, for Jews obviously still practice it as well as non-Jews for other reasons, but it's not a central tenet of Christianity like it was in its early days. So it doesn't necessarily have a practical uh, consequence in that in in that sense of things, but I think it does have practical consequences for how we think about the formation of early Christianity and what these early Christians thought was important and how they navigated those things. And so today, while it might not be circumcision, we could we could think of other issues that might play that in the sense of how do we think about, for example, social justice and being a Christian. Um, and how how do we reconcile living in in a in a more secular world while still retaining a Christian identity and trying to navigate what it means to be a, a good person or a good Christian? You know, fill in the blank there. And so, in this, it's really interesting, and I think there's a lot of value in looking to these foundational texts to see how these early Christians were navigating that, even though they were doing so in a very foreign environment compared to our modern world, and we're dealing with issues that seem very foreign to us and, and sometimes hard for us to grasp. But I think that there's a lot of value in doing that exercise. And so um, I won't be making a part two to this, um, but I, I thought that it would be an interesting topic to touch on in one that hopefully um, uh, was was somewhat interesting and provided some valuable information. Um, so we will uh, see you in the next episode. Not sure what I'll be um, focusing on. Uh, I think I kind of like these standalone episodes, but we'll see. But nonetheless, thank you for listening. And um, I hope that you were able to to learn something from this.